0: trags and I'm thrilled to be back on CLNS Media this time as host of Red Sox Beat. We'll be bringing you the latest and greatest news and nuggets and our breakdown of all things Red Sox. My first guest on the road back is longtime friend and colleague Ian Brown of mlb.com and of course redsox.com. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Ian M. Brown, with an E at the end. That's I-A-N-M-B-R-O-W-N-E. You can find us at clnsmedia.com. Follow us on Twitter at Red Sox, C-L-N-S. Oh, this is a thrill, Ian. Um, great to be back, and uh, it's great to have you on the inaugural or the restart of Red Sox Beat with yours truly, How's my uh, newly vaccinated friend doing
1: hey, yeah I'm about uh hour and a half off my second uh vaccination shot so feels good right now
0: well, keep a glass of water by your side and if yeah, yeah, flushed, I got one
1: I got one right here that's yeah.
0: that's good that's very good um you're you've always been prepared and how long have I known you uh over twenty years yeah i mean uh you actually, uh, took my place at redsox.com and I moved on to, uh, other beats, uh, when I was in Boston, uh, covering the Celtics at the time, as well as the Patriots. I, that's really when I focused, uh, started, uh, focusing in on the Patriots and you took over covering the Red Sox. And obviously that was the magic trick because a couple of years later they won the world series.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, It was all, it was all me, but, uh, yeah, no, we've, uh, this is my 20th year on the Red Sox beat and, uh, you know, I think I had met you at a Celtics game or something yes. back before that even, or a Patriots game or something.
0: Yeah, uh, our paths have crossed. I actually didn't know you actually covered uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs back in 96, if I'm remembering this correctly, the Panthers and the Avalanche. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was a great, great series, triple overtime, uh, game four.
0: Yeah, I do remember that. But uh, back to baseball, that's why I have you on Um it has been a really impressive restart, uh, Alex Cora 2.0 uh, for these Red Sox. Uh, as a- after uh, play on Sunday, the loss to Philadelphia six to two, Red Sox still stand 29 and 19, tied with the uh, surging Tampa Bay Rays atop the uh, American League East. Tampa Bay winning ten in a row to catch up with the Red Sox. Uh, they've been playing red hot baseball, and look out, uh, the New York Yankees are starting to mash the ball like. We, I think Ian all thought they would. And right now, you've got a three-team race atop the
1: AL East. Yeah, I've been really impressed the way the Red Sox have sort of hung in there because, you know, especially the Yankees, they don't really match up on paper with the Yankees. But the Red Sox are just kind of one of those um, teams that are doing it with, you know, with, a, with a true team effort right now, um, led by a manager who it, it's been a huge factor, having Alex Cora back in the dugout. Uh, but they just have a bunch of grinders, you know, tracks you've seen, <clears throat> you know, you've seen Red Sox teams like this before who you didn't ex- exactly expect. Uh,
0: 2013 you know, comes to mind, actually.
1: 2013, you know, I was thinking but... back in your wheelhouse, like 1999, uh, you know, th- those kind of teams where th- this team wasn't necessarily looked at great on paper uh, going into the year, but there's just something about them. They have a great chemistry, uh, they have great character. And right now, um, Every, t- every time it seems like they're going to slip, um, they, they come back and then uh, reel off a few wins in a row.
0: All right, uh, obviously Alex Cora uh, returned from his MLB imposed suspension. And what has been the biggest difference when you watch him? And obviously because of the pandemic and we're still uh, as media members restricted to just meetings like this in terms of our interaction with players and managers, what can you gather from uh, his calming influence and, and the way he handles the team uh, that's a little bit different than Ron Renicky?
1: Yeah. And, and nothing against Renike, um, who I think like uh, had a bad hand. He was dealt a bad hand. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot uh, he could do with that. But Cora just has a special way uh, with these guys where he's able to push their buttons. He, he knows how to motivate them. Um, he knows how to, you know, he, he knows what they're going through. He knows how to kind of speak their language, you know, and that's, that's to the Spanish guys. That's to the, the, uh, the American guys. That's to all the guys really. And he just knows, uh, what each guy needs and you know it, it really took about um one or two days until he was back to really see the impact he was having that's how uh, uh wide reaching he is and it's just his way of communicating and i think that he's just very real in his communications and that guys want to play for him guys want to do anything for him and uh it's just really a, a, the culture that he sets uh, with the, with this team
0: I think accountability is a big part of this, Ian, Uh, and it starts with him, right? I mean, you can't ask your players to be accountable unless you're accountable. And everybody knows what Alex Cora had to own uh, when he returned to the Red Sox. And I thought he, in January, when they reintroduced him, he spent a good deal of time doing exactly that, the the whole cheating scandal uh, with Houston and what happened uh, in his first year in, in
1: Boston. Yeah, look, Alex Cora could not have handled that situation any better than he did, where I think a lot of people in that situation would just be like, pull the Mark McGuire, I'm not here to talk about the past (laughs) kind of thing. That wouldn't
0: fly here. I mean, just would not work, given the the severity and the the significance of the situation.
1: Right. And he's just been extremely accountable and saying he knows how much he screwed up. And, uh, you know, he's so grateful for the second chance. He didn't know that heim if heim bloom was going to give him that second chance so when he got it i think he just said look i'm going to be show how grateful i am and uh, he's just really going to embrace this the second chance he has to manage this team um, i think he's not going to take it for granted at all he's going to appreciate um, each day and his enthusiasm it just jumps out at you every day even on these zoom calls we have um he's just he's on every day you know he never there's never a day where he seems you know how kind of like tired or are run down he's he just he loves what he's doing and he's um you know he's embracing the highs he's not getting too uh impacted by the lows he's just he's glad to be going through the whole process again you
0: know i think that's impressive ian considering that it's one thing to do that in a clubhouse setting uh or when you're interacting with us like he did back in uh, 2018 uh on a day-to-day basis it's totally another to try and and convey that across these Zoom calls, and you know the calls that I've seen and the highlights I've seen, it's exactly what you're describing. He just seems, he doesn't always have to be giddy, but he seems yeah. energized in getting another chance with a team that he knows very well.
1: Yeah, I think that he's really, um, you know, when you have something, you know, we all know in life, you have something taken away from you. Um, you appreciate it a little bit more when you get it back. And that's what I'm reading with, with Alex Gore. That's what I'm seeing in him. And even in 2019, things didn't go great. He could be like a little bit uh, snippy or defensive at times. Um, really not at all this year. He's just, uh, like I said, he's just so grateful to be back in the spot. Cause when you're sitting home suspended for a year um, you don't know how that's going to pan out. You don't know what your future is going to be. And just for him to be lined up back with this team, um, and to have them because he, he loves Boston, look he, he, you know, he yeah. up with another managerial job. But he loves no this question. His, daughter, his daughter's going to B.C. in the fall and uh, he just loves kind of uh, all things Boston. So he, and he loves the passion of Boston because it's very much like where he grew up in Caguas, uh, Puerto Rico, where it's just baseball 24-7. So he's just uh, he's so happy to be back that he's really um, conveying that he's putting all his energy uh, you know, into the job.
0: Kind of like all of us love Ian Brown with redsox.com. <laughs> I can I could I can search certainly vouch for that. Speaking with Ian Brown of MLB.com, follow all of his terrific work on redsox.com, which is of course under the umbrella of mlb.com. Hey, sports fans, bet online the fastest and easiest way. To bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season, of course, is in full swing, and you can track all of the action at Bet Online. Get the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, and NHL, with those two leagues having their playoffs uh, fully underway. And also get in on all of your UFC and MMA. Action, real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds. It's the very best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or your mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, before the next pitch, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device. And, uh, and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Back with Ian Brown of MLB.com and Redsox.com. All right, you mentioned Haim Bloom, Red Sox uh, president of baseball operations, I believe is the f- correct title, right, Ian?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, chief baseball officer.
0: Chief baseball officer, because nowadays you, you don't know whether he's a GM, chief baseball yeah, right. officer. Or Director of baseball Operations. Dave Dombrowski, if I recall, he had the director of baseball operations title.
1: Yeah, president. Yeah, president of baseball operations for Dombrowski. Eventually, uh, I'll get it yeah, right. It's hard to keep track of all this stuff. There, they're all just GMs. You know? Yeah,
0: essentially, for all intents and purposes, they're all GMs. They're running the baseball ship, and. Yeah. The reason I bring up Heim Bloom is he made a lot of changes, I think, you know, somewhat maybe, and I think the perception is at the direction of ownership to get under the salary cap. And um, he, you know, let a couple of players walk up. We all know we've rehashed Mookie Betts a million times. I'm not going to do that right now. But, you know, he also uh, traded away Andrew Benintendi for Frankie Longbom Cordero, who <laughs> did have, I, I loved your piece uh, Sunday on MLV.com about just how long that home run was, yeah, was kind of put it in. That
1: was impressive, man. It was like, he put out all his frustration he had for the entire season in that one swing and just uh, absolutely killed that ball.
0: The cynics would say when he he when he does eventually hit the ball, it goes a long, long way, and it did on Sunday in Philadelphia in that uh, six to two loss. But he's remade you know, Heim Bloom has remade the roster, and you know I think the Red Sox and Bloom are very fortunate that the guys who have stayed around the obvious ones, uh, Xander Bogarts. Uh, Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez, and to a degree, Alex Verdugo, they've really helped carry the Red Sox uh, while these other guys find their footing that have been brought in and in the off season.
1: Yeah, no, no question. But you know, I think Heinblum, um deserves some credit because he he took a lot of heat um, when he when he took over for you know, people were saying, "Oh, he's just going to turn this into the Tampa Bay Rays." I mean, with ownership, it wasn't simply um, cutting payroll; it was more. Uh, rebuilding the foundation because the farm system had really slipped. Yep. They just needed to rebuild the depth uh, in the organization. So, you know, as far as like, you know, the Mookie Betts thing, it is a place you need to start because um, look, they had a, they had a decision to make are, you know, are we going to take our chances that we can sign this guy in the off season where we know we're not willing to go $450 million or whatever it was he signed for, we're willing to go 300, maybe 350 max. Are we willing to just roll the dice and let him walk for nothing? Or do we want to trade him um, now while well, we can still get something for him? You, you look back at what they got they got Verdugo, who's one of their best players right now. Um, and they still have him, uh, I think he's under team control for four more years. And they got Jeter Downs, who's their uh, second or third ranked prospect right now. And another uh, versatile catcher. Uh, and Connor Wong, who, who could end up being a decent major leaguer. So you made a pretty good trade right there. Once you made the decision that you couldn't afford to roll the dice with Mookie, and you thought you were going to lose him for free agency. And then you see some of the other moves he made where, you know, he traded Brandon Workman um, and Heath Embry at the deadline last year. And both those guys have done absolutely nothing since they left. And he got Nick Pavetta uh, and Connor Siebold, who's a, a prospect, a righty prospect and Pavetta, has um, been probably their, their best pitcher so far this year. Biggest
0: surprise. I mean, yeah, so
1: that, yeah, it was a tremendous surprise because this guy had underachieved for years in Philadelphia, and uh, he was the quintessential guy who maybe just needed a change of scenery, and he's really brought into the Red Sox. He's brought bought into their pitching philosophy, and, uh, you know, it looks like a great trade, and the funny thing is now they have Workman back in their minor league system uh, after the the, uh, the Cubs released him, so now uh, now maybe even get workman back. So he traded, you know, basically this trade was, it was a huge uh, home run, uh, no matter what happens from here and some of the move, you know, we got Garrett Richards this offseason. season. Um, he had a Rocky start, his first four starts. He's been excellent ever since. So you see why they made that move. Um, Kike Hernandez signed him as a free agent. You kind of seeing what uh, the energy he brings on a daily basis, Hunter Renfro often has been inconsistent with boys. He's, he's his been-
0: defense is right there. I mean, he's, yeah. Look, he, he was filling huge shoes defensively for uh, JBJ. And, you know, I've had a chance here in Cincinnati to see some of the National League action. JBJ just came through uh, Cincinnati over the weekend. And um, he can still track the ball better than any center fielder I've ever seen. So yeah. for Hunter Renfro to be able to uh, come into those shoes in Boston and, and play the way he has defensively has just been a huge boost
1: yeah, and you know, Trag's right field at Fenway is different too. You need you need a you know somebody who's a center fielder caliber out, right. out there to, to cover all that ground. He's done a great job, not just uh, with the range, but his arm is just impressive. I didn't know he had that good of an arm. So you know, that was another. That's you, you pay three million dollars for this guy. So he's he's he did Heinblum did some bargain shopping, um, and uh, you know it's it's paid dividends already. Even Martín Perez at the bottom of the rotation. You know, a lot of people thought they were going to pick up his six point. Uh, I think it was a six point seven five billion dollar option at the end of the year. They declined that option, and then re-signed him for four That's million. True. I think he's got about a three and a half ERA right now. Um, so he's just made some shrewd moves here, and he's just kind of you know, this isn't, as he put it in the offseason, this isn't a go for broke year for the Red Sox. This is a year to sort of rebuild the foundation, um, add some depth, uh, bolster the binary league system a little bit. If you and uh, try to compete at the major league level at the same time. And they've done that. Do I think this team's going to win the world series? You know, I don't think so, but uh, they're going to be competitive, which is all you can really ask for at, especially after last year,
0: the bats have to stay hottie. And I mean, as good as they've been, and you know, they're right at the top of the major leagues with, I believe after Sunday's action, 65 home runs. How about this stat? And, you know, uh, I love the work uh, that the red Sox PR does. Uh, in compiling these. And this uh, props out to Justin Long. I'm a big Justin Long fan. The Red Sox are out homering their opponents 63 to 34 plus 29. That's the largest difference in MLB. That's a big reason they're 29 to 19.
1: Yeah. And I don't know what's more impressive about that stat, tracks is the fact that they've hit 63 or that they've only allowed 34 because um, the pitching staff um, doesn't have quite as much raw talent as. As the offense, I think. But what happened is Dave Bush uh, combining with Jason Veritek, I think having Jason Veritek on the full-time staff as what they call the game planning coordinator, where he's really gotten back to what he did as a player and helping the pitchers game plan these starts. I think that's played a big I think Jason Veritek maybe isn't getting getting as much credit as he deserves for the start this team is off so you saw it when he was a player where they always maximize that pitching staff and, and you're seeing it again. But yeah, that is impressive that they can hit home runs and, uh, you know, and not allow them.
0: Not give them up. I'll tell you what, as a one-time catcher, uh, not just on the media, media team uh, in our media league with uh, the New York writers. But um, the thing that impresses me about that and where I think you have to give Jason Veritek a lot of credit in working with the staff, like you said, is um, not giving in. Because I think really 70% of home runs come when pictures give in and they're trying to get a strike over the plate in a batter's count. And I think Jason Veritek is working with these pictures to make sure that their mentality isn't to give in so easily. And that's why those home run numbers are lower.
1: Yeah, no, I agree totally. They're really sort of they're they're doing a great job of painting the corners they're making their pitches. You know, you're seeing Matt Barnes the other night with the game on the line. Um, he threw four straight curveballs. you know, to, to, it's right. a guy who has a, a 98 mile an hour fastball I threw four straight curveballs to get a game ending strikeout. I think it was against uh, Reese Hoskins there in, in uh, Philadelphia, but uh, yeah, just the way they're, they're game planning. They're, they're doing an excellent job on that pitching stuff.
0: What about, um, well, you you mentioned Matt Barnes. Uh, He's been one of the huge reasons this Red Sox team is off to the start. They're off to Um, 11 saves, a 0.63 whip, I believe it is. Yeah. he's Just, you know, really doing a great job of locating the ball on the edges, like you said, and not giving in. And I think that was, you know, one of his issues, you know, his only blip on the radar screen came to the, the baseball's, Best, most dynamic player in Shohei Otani on that Sunday afternoon. That's been it. I mean, he's been perfect. Almost. Yeah,
1: and the, even the Otani thing, um, you know, it was two outs in the ninth, and he just gave up a bloop to Trout. That it was one of these uh, analytic shifts where Chavis was playing second base, and he was on the shortstop side of the bag. At this little uh, blooper fell in the short right field. It's an easy pop up to the second baseman if they're playing a standard defense. So, it's almost like he should have had the uh, he should have had the save in that game too. But he's just the key with Barnes is that he just he's he's ahead in the count all the time tracks where he used to be he used to fool around and he'd be down two and oh he'd be walking guys and um veritek and some other guys just pointed out some analytics to him that um you know if you if you go strike one on these guys he showed them the amount of times that you're going to get out versus when you don't so he's really just bought into that he's just uh strike one on everybody now to me
0: not to cut you uh, off But this is kind of a bugaboo with me. To me, that's not analytics. That's more probability. And that's always been a truism in baseball, especially for relievers. When your exposure to these hitters is limited to one time, you get to face them one time. If you don't get ahead of them, uh, strike one, strike two. And when Red Sox or any team's bullpen has always struggled, it's when they uh, have a tendency to fall behind in the count and fiddle around on the edges and not locate.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, sure. And the reason why I said analytics is just because it was pointed out to Barnes like the exact percentage of kind of what happens when you get that first pitch strike versus when you don't. So when he saw that, he's like, "Those are great odds. I would play those odds." Right. So you know that then he uh, then he just totally bought into that, and you know the the difference between this guy night and day. I don't think anybody. We all came into spring training wondering who the closer was going to be. Was it going to be Barnes? Was it going to be Ottavino? Um, I think some of the, some of us thought that Barnes could do a decent job as a closer. Nobody saw this coming. I mean, he's, he's been as good as any closer in baseball so far this year. And he's, he's had a free agent year too. So he's positioning himself uh, to, to make a lot of money in the offseason. How do you read uh, Nathan Avaldi? He's tough to read, man. It's just, he is. he's got a big uh, pitch mix. He throws a bunch of different stuff. And, um, some days he's really good. Some days he's not, he's one of these guys who throws as hard as anyone in baseball, but doesn't get a lot of swing and miss. He doesn't get a ton of swing and miss the
0: ball's not moving. It's it's
1: yeah. It doesn't get it. Yeah. doesn't get a ton of strikeouts, but, uh, you know, you saw that, uh, in 2018, you saw that he's not afraid of the stage, right? No. Nope. So have him healthy, you know, going into October, there's certain guys, you know, Josh Beckett was another guy like this. There's certain guys who just kind of turn it up, um, in October and Evaldi looked like that guy. So they're uh, healthy and you'll take what he's giving you right now uh, where he's going to give you six innings pretty much every start uh, somewhere between two and four runs every now and then he'll have a clunker. Where he gives up five or six, but he'll uh, take it. You'll take his compete level. The key to him, the key with Evaldi is always just keeping him off the injured list. And so far this year um, he's been nothing but healthy. So that, that's been good to see.
0: How much do you miss the clubhouse?
1: Uh, quite a bit, quite a bit. It's a lot different. Um, just not getting a chance to talk to these guys. Um, it was nice, at least in spring training, I got to go to spring training for about three weeks and you would kind of see guys out in the backfield. So you could at least say hi to them, a little face-to-face interaction. They would actually, the Red Sox, um, would, would set up some one-on-one sort of so- socially distanced interviews where we would be up on the, uh, those monster seats at JetBlue and you'd have a, a guy about 12 feet from you with the tape recorder in the middle and you'd have a conversation. So it was nice, but yeah, it's, it's different covering a team and not having the um, you know, not having that daily access and just being kind of subject to, to who they bring out uh, on a zoom call. It's been tough uh, yeah. we to really be able to build any relationships with the new guys on the team. Uh, like, you know, some guys Martin Perez, other than spring training last year, really haven't talked to him. Uh, face-to-face you know it's all on zoom so so that's been a little strange but i think that maybe uh you know after the all-star break um hopefully we can get a little bit more back to normal and then bring back some more of the the uh, in-person access do you so is that what
0: you're hearing or
1: what you think might happen yeah, i mean, I don't know exactly how they're going to phase it back tracks i think a lot of it depends on how many of these teams get to the 85 percent vaccination threshold um the Red Sox aren't there yet. They think they might be getting close. Once teams get to that, they can sort of loosen their their protocols a little bit. But, you know, I, I think that maybe at least in the second half, you know, Alex Cora's press conference will be able to do that um, in person. Maybe players will – Coming into the interview room be able to talk to them there rather than on zoom i don't know if the clubhouse is going to open this year i,
0: I wouldn't guess so i mean I, yeah. I think and i have no problem with that in terms of playing it safe and error on the side of caution with regard to that but i think i don't know if i believe this but a couple of the reds who who are very good with the media and the, and the dynamic here in cincinnati is a, is a lot different i'll grant you that but a couple of them have joked. You know, we miss you guys as well. Has has there been any of that
1: with the Red Sox? <laughs> uh, not too much, Trag. Not too much. <laughs> you know, you know how these guys are in Boston. It's just kind of, it's it's such a fishbowl that I think it is. You know, a guy like Xander Bogarts, I don't think he would mind having us around. But uh, you know, I think for the other uh, many other guys on the team, I think it's uh, I think it's nice to, to to not have to worry about us. To tell you the truth. And I think maybe that uh, you know, Rob Bradford. Uh, our In the bushes,
0: friend. Rob Bradford.
1: Yeah, our good friend Rob Bradford. Uh, I think he thinks, uh, he had espoused that he thinks that maybe that's the reason why the Red Sox are playing so well. Uh, is because they don't. Sure. To be I'd, old,
0: so I'd buy that a little bit, actually. And yeah. I, I, you know, we, we, you know, laugh it off or, you know, kind of write it off as a joke. But I think there is a lot to be said for that especially in the market like Boston, where you have so many reporters and so much media in a very tight um, footprint. And, you know, I don't, a lot of fans have never been in that clubhouse or around that clubhouse around these players. And when you have a crowded situation in your workspace, you're going to be more tense and it's going to take you a little bit more effort uh, to relax, don't you think?
1: naturally yeah yeah it seemed to be human nature and you know boston's just such a such a unique animal i think uh you look at boston and new york as the two places that are so different than anywhere else in the country anywhere else in baseball uh media coverage wise the way that the team is covered so yeah i think that uh you know you, you've got a red sox team that's not uh doesn't it's not infested by us uh reporters every day and uh you know they're they're going to be a little bit more relaxed everything good with your family amy Kids. Oh, family's great. Amy's uh, teaching second grade down the down the street. Uh, my youngest is going to Temple in the fall. Uh, yes. So yeah. It's, uh, not Villanova. Uh, yeah, not. I'm sorry, I was on the. They rejected him. So. Yeah. Oh,
0: sorry. Oh, Didn't mean to bring up a sorry. No,
1: Tem- Temple was his first choice anyway. So Good. he's excited. But uh, now every, everybody's doing great.
0: Excellent. Well, it's great to have you back in. Uh, it brings a smile to my face because. You know, the players know that uh, you uh, kick them in the ass with tough questions all the time. So (laughs) I'm glad to see that uh, I can get you in a relaxed state. That's a joke, by the way, (laughs) really executed (laughs) joke, but it's a joke. Ian Brown is one of the classiest, um, most uh, well-liked reporters that's ever covered the Red Sox. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I think that's I
1: appreciate that. You know, we try to. Try to keep it real with them. They know they can trust me. They know I'm going to ask fair questions. And uh, I, think I, I think I've think i done that through, through the years.
0: I think you have, and uh, you've done an excellent job. Continue to read Ian Brown on MLB.com and Red Sox.com. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code. For betonline.com/clns50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit, betonline your online sportsbook experts. Want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest Ian Brown of MLB.com doing bang up work covering the Red Sox all year long. Follow him on Twitter at Ian M brown with an e at the end and don't forget the m in the middle all one word also want to thank our great sponsor betonline.ag i'm mike petralia and this has been the red sox beat podcast powered by the clns media network